Let me ask the question again. Do you believe that there is power in prayer? If you believe that like I believe that, then shouldn't we pray more? I mean, I would think that if we really believed in the power of prayer, if we really believed that there's a God who hears us when we pray, that acknowledges that we're here, that knows our anxious thoughts, as Scripture says, that knows our inner workings, that knows the words we're going to say before they even come out of our mouth. If we believe that that God is real and that when we pray, He not only hears us but responds to us, we should pray more. We should be devoted to it. We should find ourselves being, I don't know, just completely engulfed by prayer. It should be what we do with all we have. It should be what pours out of us is prayer. It should be the very thing that we go to, not at the end of our trials, but even before they begin, it should be the thing that we do to celebrate. I mean, if prayer is really powerful, why don't we use it adequately? It would be as though we were going to deal with ants in our front yard. A major mound of ants. And we went, I know that there's poison for this, but I'm going to treat it with sugar. And to do so, I'm going to pour the sugar on my foot. I hope this works. That's when we don't use prayer. It would seem that foolish. But isn't it funny that too many times we find ourselves never using the power of prayer in our lives. We don't take anything to the Lord. We hope that simply he just gets it. And he does, believe me, there's nothing in your life that God doesn't know about. But the amazing thing about it is this. He would love to have a conversation with you about it. And I think the problem we have with prayer is this. We believe that prayer is one-sided. And so we say it and God hears it, but he doesn't care. We treat prayer like parents treat children. And let's just go back to this one more time. As a parent, we learn a superpower. And it's called this. I don't want to hear you. It's a superpower as a parent. Your kids say something enough and you learn to just go, oh, you said something? I wasn't listening. We think that God does that with us. And so we pray so much that finally God just goes, I'm just done hearing from Kyle. I don't care how many times he prays, I'm not going to listen. That is not scriptural. If God ordained scripture, if it is God-breathed and it's truthful, then that means that God never grows tired. Nor does he grow tired of hearing from you. So when you feel like you've prayed it enough, know this. God's not done listening yet. How many of y'all have had this moment? I know I have in my life when I've prayed for something time and time and time again, and it just seems like nothing ever happens. And then I pray that one more time, it seems like, and then it happens. Nobody else? I know I have, and let me give you one of those because I know he'd be okay with this. My wife's brother, Kenny, stuck in drug addiction. We didn't know where he was most of the time. It ruined his, his relationships. And we were worried about him. We prayed for him often. I talked to him yesterday on the phone. He is now eclipsed eight months sober. 
And let me tell you what he said to me on the phone. Kyle, listen, I'm sponsoring other guys. I've got a guy that just finished 60 days sober. He said, if there's anybody in your church that needs to hear from somebody about addiction, give me a call, I'll be there. You see, God doesn't just answer prayers. He doesn't just check the box, yes or no. He's really there. He's really there. So as we talked about prayer over these last five weeks, we got to go back to the thought of realizing if we believe in the power of prayer, at some point it's got to be a part of our walk with the Lord. At some part of our walk with the Lord, people have got to start saying, there goes a person of prayer. You know why? Because if we believe it is a powerful tool with God, it's a tool he gave us to access him. I want you to capture this. God did not just give us weapons to access on our own. He gave us access to him. And while we may talk about all the armor of God that he's given us, ultimately, you know what he gave you? Him. Him. It talks so many times in that passage about all the armor, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, shield of faith. But you know what it ultimately says to do? Pray. You know why? Because it's his armor, and he fights our battles. So while you're wearing his armor, he is slaying the dragon. That's how God works. He wants you to capture this. While he's calling you to be a warrior, he ultimately wants you to follow him as the general. And he is good at it. He doesn't lose battles. He's never lost one yet. And while we may be praying for battles that we feel like we are losing, I can assure you of this. God knows the outcome and it will bring him glory. That's how God works. Sometimes we need to reimagine God as that general. We need to see that he has called us into a fight alongside him. He's never called Christians to go out on their own. He has always been a God of provision. But he wants us to gain a heart of fulfillment in him. A fulfillment that when we are in his presence, we are our most captivated then. And I think sometimes we forget what that longing looks like to be with God. And so I want you to hear it from a different perspective this morning. In the 1940s, this this man named William wrote back to his his, uh, fiance. And as he was in Italy there, he penned a letter back to Nebraska, and he just simply gave her some thoughts from the field. I want you to hear their love story. It's recreated. Take a listen. Twenty-five December, Italy. Dear Marge, just finished reading three letters from you, a perfect Christmas present under the circumstances. You asked what I wanted to do when I get back. I want to go to dances, shows, etc., just as you do, and we will, but most of all, I just want to live the life of an average American. While over here, there are a lot of things I think of that I would like to do. In fact, all of the things I used to do before coming over here, but that's just because I'm over here. You see, all of the things I think I want to do are just everyday occurrences back there, like having a Coke, a hamburger, or going to a dance. To tell you the truth, I haven't thought about doing anything special. I just want to do what I did before I left, live the way I want to. I realize time must pass slowly for those waiting at home. 
As far as not being able to have a good time, just stop and think that while those people are having their fun, there are guys over here giving their lives, and I do mean dying, just so those people and everyone else can keep on having a good time. You know, I think, in fact I know, I'm pretty darn lucky. I'm overseas and have been for about as long as anyone, but we have a paradise compared to the guys up front. They go through more hell in a day than we do in a year. That's why you don't hear me complaining much, except that I'm homesick and that happens to everyone. Now, I don't mean people at home shouldn't want to be having fun, but whenever they get this feeling it's tough because they can't be going places, just think of the guys who would like to stick their heads out of a trench without getting shot at. And I think you'll feel that it's not so bad missing out on a few good times. Bill. As William wrote back to his wife and simply just said, I just want to taste a Coke again. want to go to a show. want to go to a dance. You know, there's that longing that you can feel. You can, it's almost tangible in that letter. He did come home, by the way. Married his fiancée, and they were married for 54 years before she passed. It's an amazing love story, and it's a letter that has made its way into the National Archives the letter between William and his then wife. Makes you wonder what a longing really feels like in the middle of a battle. But I've seen what it looks like in ministry. A lot of times, Dell and I have the privilege of celebrating the homegoing of saints in, in Christ. And we stand up here on the stage and we talk about their lives and we, we celebrate their legacies. And if you're really listening, every time we do one of those funerals, he and I will say the same thing. They got to go home. And I, I used to think when I was younger, I didn't quite get it, but the older I get, the more I understand. The more time I spend with Jesus, the more I long to be home with him. And I think that there's something deepening about our walk with the Lord, that the longer we walk with him, the more we yearn for that time with him. The more we pray about our moments in heaven, the more we want to celebrate those moments. And I think that's that longing, that fulfillment that God wants us to get in him is this. No matter what the outcome might be of our lives, in Christ, we get to celebrate the fact that no matter what happens this is not our home it's such a bad example of what heaven will be like I uh I want to be political for two seconds y'all ready put on your politics hat with me here's why this makes a poor version of heaven we celebrate sin and call it togetherness and then we talk ugly to one another like we don't care. Heaven will not be that way. Sin will be vanquished and evil will never have its day. I'm looking forward to heaven. Okay. So now let's go back to what I believe is exactly what it looks like to have this kind of hunger and fulfillment in heaven. Psalm 84, written by the sons of Korah. Um, it's an amazing thing. For those of y'all that know, the sons of Korah were 
instrumentalists. They were singers. They celebrated at the temple. And now listen to what it says. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of armies. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Even a sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she places her young near your altars, lords of armies, my king and my God. How happy are those who reside in your house who praise you continually. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make a source of spring water. Even the autumn rain will cover it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Each appears before God and Zion. Lord God of armies, hear my prayer. Listen, God of Jacob, consider your shield, God. Look on the face of your anointed one. Now listen to it. Better a day in your course than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than live in the tents of wicked people. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord grants favor and honor. He does not withhold the good from those who live with integrity. Happy is the person who trusts in you, Lord of armies. You can see it just in that moment where they would have been in their service. That they get to see things that we probably never would have got to see, like the birds that would make nests next to the temple. They, they acknowledge that. How awesome is it that that bird gets to dwell here its whole life, that those little baby birds are born in the presence of God's temple. We should all hope that we were like that. Lord, I just want to be at the doorpost even of the temple just to be in your presence than in the court of a best millionaire. Lord, to be better to be in your presence than anywhere else for the rest of my life. Psalm 84. So let's go back to some things we learned as kids. Number one, home is where your heart is. Remember your parents telling you that growing up? Home is where your heart is. And we learned that that shifts with adolescence into teenage years, didn't we? Because your heart stopped being for your home. It started being for your friends. So you come home less. Of course, you also lose your brain during that season as well, right? I love you teenagers. Y'all are awesome. Anyways, but you, you lose your heart for your home. And then you go through college, and you don't have a home for a while. You feel displaced. And somewhere along that time, you start to yearn for home. I grew up in small towns my whole life. I mean, I, the other day we got to move a friend, and we were sitting in a small town in Sudan, and I, it just it looked like home to me. I, I grew up in a town where if your bike was stolen, somebody already knew who stole it right? Like that, I grew up in that town. We didn't have cell phones back then. We didn't need them. Because if I was running down the street with my friends and my mom wanted to know where I was, if the lights came on on the city lights, someone would call my mom and say, I just saw Kyle running down the street. You couldn't get away. You see, I grew up in that kind of atmosphere where it was home. But here's what every one of my friends used to say. When I can graduate, I'm getting out of this town. Y'all heard that too, right? Those of y'all who grew up in Amarillo, your friends said it too. Man, I'm going to graduate and get out of this little town. And where do they come back to? That town. You know why? Their hearts yearn for it. It becomes home. There's something about the smell of cattle 
for me in April growing up, there's something about the smell of oil field. It smells completely different, but equally as disastrous. For Southeast Texas, where we served, it was the smell of paper mills, which is horrendous. Yes. Don't you see it, though? There's something that when your heart is planted somewhere, it becomes home. It's the beauty of it. But here's the thing. As we look at the scripture, we see something unique. It starts with saying how lovely God's dwelling place is. And it says that there's a yearning for the courts of God. But listen to what the verse says next. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Here's the problem. There is always a battle of heart and flesh. There's always going to be that battle. Here's why. Because while we may say that at the heart of who a person is, we've given our heart to God, while we say those things, we got to know this. The heart that's talked about in Scripture is not like your heartbeat heart. It was at the core of a person. It would be better to say, my guts belong to God. And with everything I've got, my guts cry out for him. And then we get this word, flesh. Flesh is the thing that we hear in Scripture always is the downfall of man, that they yearn for the flesh, spirit versus flesh. And in this passage, the sons of Korah say, I no longer am going to have this battle over heart and flesh. It is all going to yearn for God. Here it is again. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of armies. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Listen, the takeaway from this is this. Aligning them is the aim of a spirit-filled person. Aligning those is the aim of a spirit-filled person. When we get our heart and our flesh in line to pursue God, things change. But how? How do we align our heart and flesh? How do we do it? I believe the core part of that is in the presence of God of God. How do you get in the presence of God? So let's talk about a few. Let's let's start with the basics. Today you showed up for something. And I believe this. It doesn't happen by good music. It doesn't happen by good sermon works. It happens when you and I focus our attention on God and we, we give away the things that we thought we had control of. That is aligning heart and flesh to God. And when we align that, God can do something amazing in our lives. He can start to change a person from being okay Christianity, which I believe that that is what our society lives and breathes on, is okay Christianity. I mean, we come to church, we serve at VBS, we show up at work days, we're okay. And God's like, Okay is not salvation. Salvation gets connection and then devotion to God and obedience changes everything else. How is it that we have lived in a society now that is just okay with Christians acting not okay? Because we don't go to the Lord to change anything. We evaluate upon one another. We say things like, Well, I did this, and they didn't, 
So I must be better than they are as a Christian. And they say these kind of things in public. Well, I would never say those things. So I must be a better Christian. And Jesus goes, but you don't save anybody. And you don't change anybody. I do. Evaluate your life with mine. And then we all become to realize we all need help. There's a reality. When I went to Odessa College right out of high school, I thought I could play basketball. I really did. I mean, I, I saw with my friends. I, one of my best buddies played basketball in high school. They were both six foot. I could kind of hang with them a little bit. And so I thought, hey, I think I could be a basketball player. I haven't gotten any taller, by the way. Um, but I was like, I think I can hang. And so I met this friend, Andre Robinson. He was a basketball player at Odessa College. He was a McDonald's All-American. And he goes, hey, why don't you come and play ball with us at the gym? And I went, yeah, let's do this. So here's what I did. I stretched a lot before I got there. I went into the gym and I lifted some weights, you know, so that my arms looked stronger. And then I got to the court. And they were like, Andre goes, hey, there he is. Kyle, come over here. And it's the basketball team. And so I walked up and I was like, what's up, guys? Let's play some basketball. <laughs> and then I learned something. I can't play basketball. I was evaluating my skill level on people that were, I mean, one of my friends was much better than I was, but on, on an equal playing field. But then when I got to truth, truth showed me I was no good. This is the cause of the church today. We have evaluated against everybody else. Let me tell you how we've evaluated. I'm not a Muslim. Y'all, let's, let's go political. Y'all, y'all okay with that again? Y'all ready? Because I'm going to say some things and I want you to hear me and I want you to tune me out, but I think we're going to have to say it if we're going to get fixed by God. Yeah, but I didn't march in that parade last week. So I'm better than they are. But I, listen, I didn't watch Game of Thrones, not one episode. So I must be better than all those people. And before we start to go, <laughs> that's so funny, Kyle. That's, that's how we talk. Isn't that how we talk? Let's be real. As the church, that's how we talk. And now as, as long as we keep talking like that, I'll tell you what's going to happen. More and more people are going to leave God's presence. How we need to talk is this. Lord, forgive me for acting like me. Because you know how I act. You know how I judge. You know how I sin. And God... Remind me constantly that you are God and I am man. If we could align ourselves with the presence of God, we would recognize this. That everyone outside of Jesus is doomed and those inside of Christ are so richly forgiven by the grace of God. I, I'm telling you, I feel like I'm Paul most days that I'm a graceaholic. Because I sin so willfully and God so richly loves me and forgives me. And then I turn around and I go, hey, I'm so forgiven. I just want you to know how doomed you are because you are evil and I hate you. 
And God goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Slow your roll there, Kyle. This is how this really works. I loved them so desperately I gave them away to me. Don't you dare get in the way of that path. Let me ask you this. Do you believe that God can forgive people? Do you believe that God can save people? Is there so far gone that God can't forgive? So let's quit acting like that. God did not call us to be judges and rulers. He called us to be evangelists, to go reach people and love them back towards him. Look at how far God's taken me. Come on, let's go. Look at how damaged I've been, but look how he's forgiven me and loved me. Let's go together. Let's go to him because he can take you anywhere. Instead of going, doomed. Doomed. Don't even come this way. Jesus is a private party. We put the thing. You're going to need to stay on your side of the rope. Jesus is over here, okay? He is holy, and you don't have any place with him. And Jesus goes, hey, by the way, you're on the other side of the rope too. We've got to remind ourselves that the power of prayer is this. We're given the presence of God. And when we have this yearning after him, when our hearts and flesh align, he will use us to reach people that hearts and flesh are not. At some point, we've got to learn that God loves people more than we do. Because a lost world really believes that not only do we hate them, God does. And I can't read that. I believe they're enemies of God. But I haven't seen anywhere where God says, nope. Nope, can't forgive that. Too far gone. One thing in Scripture, y'all remember what it is? What? blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Complete departure of I don't believe it, I'm not going to accept it. Death, separation. Every other sin the Lord can bring in close. I, I can take care of you. I can love you. I can forgive you. Turn your heart and flesh to me. So we're given this amazing power in prayer that shifts the world. And I've learned this. And we heard it in William's letter to his fiancée. When, when we're in a battle, we fight our hardest when our home holds value. We fight our hardest when our home holds value. Did you know that guys will do amazing feats when they know that they can go home the next day? If they can just get done with that. We've taken over whole countries. We've shifted wars when we told the guys on the front, if we can just get this done, y'all can go home. The most amazing thing about that is this. Prayer is the fight. It's the fight that we have. It's a great weapon of war because it allows us to align ourselves with a God who can win. And we've got to kind of get this through. We at some point have got to fight the right way. Because our fight is not against flesh and blood. Even though that's what we've been telling the world, we're going to fight y'all. The real enemy stands right next to us going, yeah. Keep them out of God's presence. At some point we got to go, get out of my face. Listen, I'm going to fight for a lost world. I want them to meet Jesus who saved me from myself, desperately saved me.
We just sang it earlier, that we're saved by his wounding. And if we believe that, how much more does a lost world need to hear that? You are the messenger. You are the tool that God's going to use to reach your neighbors, your coworkers, and your friends. They need to see that you believe what you're hearing. Listen, it's not enough to come into the room and just hear stuff. It's not enough to just go to life group or go to Bible studies and hear it at some point. The church has got to be the doing group. At some point, we've got to start to commission the gospel in our households. At some point, we've got to start showing a lost world, we believe what we've been listening to. If not, we need to finally hear it for the first time. That Jesus loves you so desperately, he gave his life in exchange for your sin. So that you wouldn't just be separated from God, but so you would have a way to God. And the way is this, that if you would surrender your life to him in exchange for the greatness of God, exchange for your sin, if you would trade, he could save you from yourself and connect you back to God the Father. The greatness of the gospel is this. The only thing he's asking for you to do is surrender. Surrender to him. Everything you have, surrender. And he will give you all of him. The access to prayer is that reminder daily. He is the one that gives us our life and our breath and our length of days. He is a God that creates. And he not only created mountains and valleys, he created you. And he wanted you to not just live, but really live. And so he gives you access to him 24-7. That it's picking up the phone and saying, God, what a great day it was. God, I'm scared. God, I feel awful today. God, I need you. God, I praise you. It's going to him with everything. And he doesn't grow tired or weary of hearing it. He asks for it, to surrender to him everything. Why do we go through battles? Because we believe we can beat him back on our own. We believe that we may have gone too far. We believe that God may not be good enough to help us. And all along stands a general that's always been successful saying, just talk to me. That's where surrender goes. So how do we fight? We fight through prayer. We fight with faith. We fight through fellowship. We fight through that fervent prayer. So I'm going to give you a challenge today before we finish out. You can see them. I put some baskets out. I've got some over there. I've got one here, here. There's one upstairs right in front of the sound booth for you guys upstairs. I'm going to ask you to fight with us. For the first time in a long time, instead of fighting against one another, we're going to fight for each other. We're going to fight alongside each other. And we're going to reclaim the things that are God's. So here's how I'm going to ask you to do it. Pick a time. Pick a time every single day. Every single day. That means every single day. Thank you. That you're going to fight through prayer. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. I'm going to ask that at some point during the invitation here in a minute, you make your way. Maybe you can't get out and you can't move around. I just want you to tap somebody and say, bring me a card. I'm going to have our deacons and their wives come up, and they're going to stand at baskets with cards and pens. So you don't have to come fight through this. They'll just hand you one. I'm going to ask you to write your name. 
and the time you're going to pray each day. I might make a challenge to you to put it in your phone as a reminder. So every day at that time, your phone's going to buzz and say, hey, don't forget to fight through prayer. And I'm going to ask that everybody in this room begin to fight together. And we begin to all turn our hearts towards the greatest general of all time who can win our battles. And it's time that we all surrender to that kind of general. So during invitation, it's your opportunity today to help us fight together. I want you to fight on behalf of your faith. I want you to fight on behalf of your family. I want you to fight on behalf of your church. And maybe this isn't your home church yet, but it will be. And you're going to help us fight. And then I want you to fight on behalf of our city and our state and our nation and then our world. I want you to fight on behalf of our leaders. I want you to fight on behalf of the servants out there. I want you to fight on behalf of the missionaries that are boldly giving their lives today for the gospel. I want you to fight for your lost friends, your lost family members. I want you to fight. And I want you to know this, that at the end of invitation, here's what I want you to do with your card. When you write your name on it in your time, I want you to just leave it on the altar. I want you to leave it on that table if you're upstairs. And then I want you to see it. I want you to see what the fight looks like. When we unite together and we fight together, because when we fight together, I believe this, God's presence is going to start winning. Because when we devote ourselves to that kind of fight, he will show up. Are you ready to fight? And I'm not just saying okay prayers. I'm asking you to be desperate in your prayers. I'm asking you to become filled with his presence. And I'm asking you to hit your knees and beg on behalf of God, God, would you step in in this place? God, would you step in in this moment? God, would you step in in this life? And to fight, fight, fight. Because I believe this, that when we go to God with prayers like that, he doesn't just answer, he shows up. I want you to know that when God shows up, he doesn't just leave fights just kind of sitting there burning out. He blazes the place. Because God is big, God is powerful, and God is giving you access to himself. Let's fight. Let's quit letting the enemy win stuff. Let's fight. Let's quit letting a lost world believe that God doesn't care for them. Let's fight. Let's fight back and let's tell the enemy this. We may not be powerful. We may not be strong, but we belong to God. And he is more than powerful. And we're putting you on notice what you thought you have won we're taking the trophies back. We're taking them back. So to give us some perspective, the sons of Korah are there in the, at the temple. And people would take these pilgrimage, pilgrimages uh, towards the temple. And they would have to walk through this valley and they would see the temple. And they would be crying out to God and pleading to him to do something in their life as they moved their way to the temple. They would be confessing and praising him. And you can just see it in the text as they're making their way. It says, happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on a pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they will make it a source of spring water. Even in the autumn rain will cover with blessings. They go from strength to strength. 
Each appears before the God of Zion, and then it says this. You can just imagine you're bringing your sacrifice to God, and you're pleading, God, would you forgive us? God, would you move us? God, would you make us a messenger for you? And it is better as one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Better to be a gatekeeper at your gates than to be in the presence of, in the tents of wicked people. For God is a, uh, the sun and shield. He grants favor and honor, and you have covered all their sin. Listen, he is so good, and it ends with this, happy, happy as a person who trusts in you. What happens when, if we really believe that prayer is powerful, what happens when a church says, then we will fight with him? What happens when you go home today and you realize this, that the people in these pews next to you will be praying one day, uh, every time, each day at one time, for you. They may not even know you, but they're going to be praying for you. They're praying for the battles you're going through, and they're pleading to God, God, would you speak through that with them? God, would you heal that? God, would you move that mountain? I believe this. Mountains can still be moved. Things can still be healed, and relationships can still be mended. And the greatest one we're praying for is, God, may you win back relationships that have been lost and they need to be found in you. May God win fights. And may we see that prayer is powerful and that what we take to him, he can handle. May we fight, fight, fight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm praying, Lord, that we learn how to fight. God, that we'll no longer let the enemy have victories, but God, we'll fight desperately. God, that we'll count upon you, and God, that we would use the strength you've given us through prayer. May we never abandon the thought that we can take everything to you, and God, may we be people who seize the moments you give us, God. Forgive us for all the times we have fought on our own, all the times that we have thought that we could handle it, all the times that we have waited till the end to come to you. May we fight differently, and may you be the victor our lives have always asked for. May we fight the right way, God. Blessed and happy are the people who put their hope in you, and may our hearts and flesh align to pursue you with all we've got. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Deacons and wives, why don't you go ahead and come, grab a basket, you'll grab some paper and some pens. I'm asking for y'all to fight today. I'm asking you to join me in this fight. I'm asking you to be desperately involved. I'm asking you to remind yourself to be a person of prayer. Today we are declaring victory over the enemy. And I believe that when we go to him, he can make it happen. Are you ready today? Are you ready to fight? Are you ready to see God do something in your life? I'm telling you today, he is who we count upon for that. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Today is the day to fight. So, why don't you stand to your feet with me. Today, if you're locked in a fight that you'd say, you know what, Pastor Kyle? I don't know Jesus, but I want to know him. I want to be changed by him. I want to be led by him. I want him to change my life. And I've got some things that I'm asking him to do, and I'm ready to fight. And you need somebody to pray alongside you. I'll be here. Dale will be here. John will be here. We'd love to talk to you about that. Here's what's more. Maybe today you would say this. I'm locked in a fight for my faith. I don't know Jesus, but I want to. Today is the day to win at that. 
Today you need to come. Today you need to be known before God. So come and let us know. We would love to walk you through that. Are you ready to fight? Let's fight as we worship. You come.